0: John chapter 12 and verse 20. This is God's word to us. Now, there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the feast, and they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. And Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus, and Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified, I tell you the truth, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Now my heart is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it's for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it and will glorify it again. And the crowd that was there, and they heard it, and it said that it thundered, and others said an angel had spoken to him. Amen. Amen. And we praise God for His Word to us.
1: Well, it would be helpful for you and certainly helpful for me if we had our Bibles open at John chapter 12, <laughs> verses 20 to 26. That uh, hymn that we've been singing reminds us in ways that we probably don't often think about of God's gifts of common grace, the fact that, that He is the one who's provided the iron and the ore and the, 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 the gifts that are all around us we're often those who tend to think of, of the gifts of God primarily being spiritual gifts. And, and even though we've just sung that hymn, that's sort of where we're moving now. We're going to think about harvest in some of the ways that the Bible thinks about it as a spiritual blessing, the, the picture of a spiritual blessing. Harvest was an absolutely key time within the people of God's lives and experiences in, in the Bible. Uh, And because it was so important, it was often drawn upon those agricultural images, those harvest images, often drawn upon by biblical writers to to talk about spiritual fruit, about spiritual matters. So, Paul, for example, talks about the hard-working farmer. He talks about uh, sowing and reaping. Jesus uses the parable of the sower. He, He talks about being the true vine and the branches and so on. And here we find A very simple and yet profound image that Jesus draws upon in this reading, it's in verse 24. I tell you the truth, he says, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. So in other words, if we see a field of grain... Uh, we realize that it is there because a number of seeds have been planted in the ground, and they are, as it were, no more. They have, they have died, maybe not in a technical biological sense, but they have died as it were, perhaps just a, a husk remains under the ground, and they 've died there that, that new growth might result, and a harvest might resu- might uh, emerge if, if we kept those seeds in a bag or in a jar. There would be no harvest. The seed has to go into the ground to be uh, buried, to be, as it were, put to death in the ground that the harvest might result. For several years now, as we've come up to harvest, I've had this verse in my mind, and and I've wanted to to look at it and to preach on it. And I've never quite got it together. I always gone to something that I thought was maybe a little bit more easy and more accessible but I've had a go uh, this year, so here we are. It's a bit of an experiment. Uh, an experiment, to be fair, that I tried out in, in Sloan Street this morning, so uh, uh, <laughs> if you're going to be wrong, you might as well be wrong twice, I suppose. Here's this principle then. Seed falling to the ground and dying and fruitfulness resulting. And, and what Jesus does in this passage is he applies it he, he applies it in two particular areas. He applies it to his own life, saying, this is what's happening in my life. And then he applies it to the lives of his followers. This is what also needs to happen in your life. And, and that's what we're going to think about uh, tonight. First of all, thinking about Jesus' harvest as far as these Uh, this principle is concerned. All of this, we know, takes place in the run-up to the crucifixion. If you you cast your eye up the page, you'll see that the section before records the uh, events of Palm Sunday. So, things are very tense. We're actually in the same sort of time scale as we are uh, in our studies in Matthew normally in the mornings. So, the religious leaders are plotting against Jesus to kill Him. Judas is plotting against Jesus to betray Him. Mary has anointed Jesus with the perfume, you see that at the beginning of chapter 12. And uh, Jesus has said that that is an indication of his death. But there's a particular trigger that prompts what Jesus says in the rest of these verses here. And you'll notice what it is in verse 20. There were some Greeks who came to Jerusalem to worship at the feast, at the Passover. And they approached Philip, one of the disciples, and they want to see Jesus. They want an audience with him, a meeting with him. They were not Jews, we think. They were sympathetic to Judaism. They were Gentiles, however, and they wanted to see Jesus. Now, if you think about this, how this happens within the whole sort of sweep of Bible history, for a couple of thousand years before this, God's saving purposes are largely focused on the Jewish people. God calls Abraham. He makes Abraham into a great nation. And it is is with Abraham's descendants largely that God is... Working and concerned. But there's all these little hints all the way through, and promises indeed, that God will expand that work in a saving way to the whole world or to all peoples. So, for example, right at the beginning, when God calls Abraham, he promises to make him a blessing to the nations. And now, at this point, these Gentiles from the nations, as it were, these Greeks who are not Jews, they come seeking Jesus. And so it is this that seems to, to trigger Jesus into saying something very unusual in verse 23. The R has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. So the R is the way that Jesus refers to the time of his death and resurrection. Up until now, he has characteristically said the R has not yet come. But now, now that the nations are coming to seek him, Jesus says, the hour has come. It is time. It is time for him to die and to rise again. And you you cannot help but, but, uh, but read all of this and realize that Jesus is absolutely in control. If you're here tonight and you're, you're sort of uh, maybe sometimes a little bit skeptical about Jesus, you think that he's sometimes carried along by events and, and he's, he's like the rest of us do, making it up as he goes along and trying to make the best of a bad job. Absolutely not the case. You, you, you can't really read the Gospels and come to that conclusion at all. He's absolutely in control at, at the events that are leading up to his death. And here we see the purpose of him laying down his life, because he says in verse 24, I tell you the truth, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. So Jesus is clearly saying his death will produce a harvest. He will die, but through his death, a harvest will result. What we need to understand is that the the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is absolutely central to what God is doing. Absolutely at the heart of it all. He is forming a people, a people of His very own, a people who will be from every tongue and tribe and nation. That's the harvest. But there is no harvest without what Jesus does. His death and resurrection are critical and crucial. So when John sees the heavenly vision of this multi-language, multi-colored people of God in heaven from every tongue and tribe and nation, this is what it says. Speaking of Jesus, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language, and people, and nation. So how does Jesus get this amazing people of God? Through his blood. His death, you see, is absolutely central to forming his people. Now, where does this earth with us? Well, sometimes you'll hear people say, do you know what, I really do admire Jesus, and I really find his teaching really aspirational, inspirational. And I think it's really, really worthwhile investigating some of the things he said. Wouldn't the world be a better place if, he, if everybody lived like Jesus did? What would Jesus do? Those things are important to ask. But the first question we should ask is, is where does Jesus' death and resurrection fit in? Where does it fit in for me? Because if, you, if you're here and you're, you're really attracted to Jesus' teaching, his, his ethical teaching, his moral teaching, and you think he was a great man. Well, one of the things you should see about this great man is that he considered his death and resurrection to be absolutely crucial to all that he did. So you need to understand that. What does that say about you? What does it say about me? What does it say about what he has done? What does it say about what he Offers Jesus' death and resurrection absolutely crucial. And you see here too that this is where we see Jesus glorified. What a strange way of speaking about his death. It's not just that it's necessary. It is here that his glory is revealed. His his essential, wonderful character revealed. Because here we see the awfulness of our sin, the great love of the Lord Jesus Christ, the burning holiness of God, the fact that Jesus conquers in the midst of the awfulness of the cross. He goes down into the grave and He rises again and brings a harvest. And if we're Christians here tonight, or if we will become Christians, then we're, we're part of that. So there's the picture. There's this principle. Unless a grain falls, wheat, grain of wheat, wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Jesus is very clearly speaking about his own death, first of all, as he takes that principle to himself. But he doesn't leave it there. He then takes it and he applies it to those who would follow him. He goes on to talk about our harvest, if you like. You see, verse 25, the man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honor the one who serves me. Me. Now, this is a tremendously important uh, principle here. Jesus is making it clear what the path of those who will follow him will look like. As the time comes near for the cross, Jesus makes it clear that the principle that's at work in his life will be the pattern for those who follow him. Okay, let me say that again. The the principle that's at work in Jesus' life, that death and resurrection lead to fruitfulness, will be the pattern of those who follow him. Jesus said similar things in other places in the Gospels. We, we sometimes pass those by. So, for example, in Mark's Gospel, chapter 8, he says, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself. That sounds very like uh, those seeds that would go down into the ground, doesn't it? He would, must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and for the Gospel will save it, you see. Same basic thing. It's to say, Now, if you're going to, here's what's happening into my life. I'm going down to the grave, going to the cross and to the grave, and from that, a harvest will result, a harvest of people. And that's the principle that's at work within Jesus' life. It's going to be the principle that's going to be at work, the pattern that's going to be found in your life if you're going to follow me, Jesus is saying. To follow him means to go along a road of self-denial, Like the grain, if there's to be fruit in our lives, there will be deaths that we have to die. Let's explore that and apply that in two particular areas. First of all, in the whole process of becoming a Christian, in, in salvation, if you like. And then we're going to look at what it means in service. So in salvation, first of all. Think of the process of becoming a Christian. Now, if you're to hear some people who talk about becoming a Christian, you might hear a, a message that's something like this. Come to Jesus, and, and he will make all your dreams come true. He, he will, you know, real happiness is to be found in Jesus Christ. And, and the, the, the picture is something like this, that, that, that you're along, going along a road, and you sort of call Jesus to come and to be a traveling companion with you. a a, a, a sort of a life coach to help you get what you really want out of life. That's the picture that sometimes uh, parts of the church give as far as evangelism is concerned. But but the the truth is, we do not call Jesus to our side. He calls us to His side, to the road that He is traveling on. And He calls us to abandon our lives as we follow Him. That's really what he's saying here in verse 25. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Now, what does it mean to love your life? Well, it means to put yourself at the very center of things. It means to believe that everything, including God, should revolve around you. It's saying, I'm boss, I'm king. It's the ultimate idolatry, isn't it? It's sort of putting yourself right at the center of the universe. It's really saying, you know, I'm, I'm God. Me at the center of everything. Now, now, that's how we would tend to be as people, left to our own devices. But you see, as Jesus calls us to himself, he's calling us to acknowledge, to die to that and to acknowledge that he is king. And that means losing your own life. It means hating your life in this world as as. as Jesus says it here. It's really saying, my life with me in charge is over. He's going to come first above all else. It was Dietrich Bonhoeffer who who said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. In other words, my life is over. I am now living for my king. And of course, what we find, amazingly, we'll say more about this later, what we find amazingly is that as we say to, to, Lord, to the Lord Jesus, Lord, I'm, I'm done with, with my life, with me as boss. What a mess I've made as I've tried to be king. You're king. As we acknowledge that, we find, what do we find? We find that we keep our lives for eternal life. That's where blessing is. So, so the illustration is, is that we've used here is something like this. We, we like to think that we might be able to invite Jesus into our lives and say to him, if we, if we imagine our life to be like a house with many rooms, to say, Jesus, I would really like you in the inside of my house. I know that you're knocking at my door. I would like you in the inside of my house, but I'd like you to stay in the hall. I don't want you messing around in the kitchen. I don't want you in the bedrooms. I don't want you I don't want you anywhere else, I just want you in the hall. You can do what you like in the hall, but I'm in charge everywhere else. No now we can't really do that. We can't really do that. Becoming a Christian means saying to Jesus, My life, running my house is over. I'm dead to that. Come in and, and renovate this place. Turn it upside down. Knock all the walls through if that's what you want to do. Because I'm rubbish at running this house. You see? Laying down our lives so that fruit might result. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Do you know that? Do you know that Jesus really knows how to run your life? We find that hard to believe sometimes. He really does. Hand it over to him, because you have nothing to fear from someone who loves you so much that he went to the cross for you and suffered the pains of hell for you. What could you have to fear from someone like that? So, so here's this principle applied in us in salvation, in becoming a Christian. What about in service, in in, in living as a Christian, in what follows after that? Well, you see, verse 26, Jesus goes on to talk about that. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. So the grain principle, you see, fruitfulness through death, applies to our serving of Jesus also. Whoever serves me must follow me. Where's Jesus going? Where are we following him to? Well, from here, he's going to the Last Supper and to Gethsemane and to Calvary. So he's going to death. His road, you see, is a road that is marked with saying no to self-protection and yes to self-sacrifice so that fruit will result. And this is what he calls us to as we as we serve him, to to follow him, you see, means saying no to ourselves and 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 yes to him. Remember, remember Paul the Apostle Paul in, in one of his letters in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15, he he's speaking about his ministry and he says, I die every day. I die every day. If you want an inspirational Bible verse for your kitchen wall, there's a good one. I die every day. So, he was talking about the fact, in that passage, he's talking about the fact that one day he'll be in glory, but now, here and now, as he's serving God, it's hard and there's suffering, and so he says, I die every day. There is, in other words, how about this? There's something that he could have done every day that would have made his life easier and more comfortable. And yet he said no to it, either because it was not necessary or because it was wrong. And he said, I'm going to die to that, I'm killing that, and I'm going to go God's way here. I've I've often quoted uh, George Muller, the a man who, was, who had a marvelous ministry in the Bristol area of England. he opened many, many orphanages, cared for many, many children. And uh, people knew that he had a very significant relationship with God and a very impactful ministry. And, and he was asked that terrible question, what is the secret of your service, Mr. Muller? And he grew quiet apparently and said, there was a day when I died, died to George Miller, his opinions, preferences, tastes, and will." Die to the world, its approval and censure, Die to the approval or blame of my brethren and friends, and since then I've studied to show myself only approved to God. The only way I think we could improve upon that is to say there were many days that he died that death. You see, there are deaths to die if we're gonna follow Jesus along the road. Think of it, let's think of some practical things when you have a decision to make about whether you will come to pray, you have to die to the alternatives, don't you? So in an early morning, Sunday morning prayer meeting, I don't remember a time ever, I've been here 12 years, I don't ever remember a time that I was driving down the road at 28 minutes past eight and thinking, whoopee, Sunday morning prayer meeting. I was dying to the fact that I could have had an extra half hour in bed or a leisurely cup of coffee or whatever it might have been. So often I drive home for it thinking, what a privilege to have been there. But you see, whenever you, you choose to, to do something like that, there's, there's a death to die, isn't there? There's something you, you die to, your love of comfort. What do you do whenever your brother or sister sins against you? Part of you wants to hold on to a grudge Gossip, get others on your side. What do you have to do? You have to die to that. And as far as is appropriate, to cover it over, to forgive and to cover it over. What do you do whenever there's an ongoing sin in your life that you're struggling with? And you're really, really tempted just to call a sort of a truce with it and say, well, do you know what? It's not so bad. It's been around in my life for a long time. It's not so bad. You've got to die to that, don't you? And start to, to live for, for God. What do you do whenever you're in church and, and you see someone who you know could do with a chat, but you've got lots to do and you're wanting to get home and, 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 and there's other people you want to see who, who you know would fill you up and, and, and this person might drain you a little bit? Well, you've got to die to, to your self-interest and serve the other person. What do you do uh, tomorrow whenever you're in work? And, and the conversation in the staff room or the office or, or amongst your peers, it, it turns to, to some issue in, in the news. And you know that there's a Christian viewpoint, and, and, and yet if you don't bring it, nobody else is going to say it. Uh, but you know that if you do say it, you're going to be laughed at when you leave the room. Oh, there goes the... God squad again. You gotta die to that, don't you? And speak for Jesus. What do you do whenever on Thursday or Friday somebody says, Are you doing anything good at the weekend? And you say, Well, I was gonna go to the park on Saturday, I was plans. (laughs) What about Sunday? Do you say, Well, actually there's there's this thing on, on Sunday night? Hopefully it's the assistant. He's going to be speaking, but but, uh, but 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 would you would you like to come? You've got to die to the uncomfortableness of that conversation. That's what it's like. You see, there's there's a death to die, isn't there? If there's going to be fruitfulness, do you see? In all of these things, this principle applies. Unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Fruitfulness comes on the other side of death. That's what Jesus is saying. My old minister in Aberdeen, William Still, wrote several books. One of them reflected on his ministry. He called it Dying to Live. That was his, his title. He wanted to call it the way up is down, but nobody understood that. But, but, but it, was, it was that sort of principle, dying to live. It, it, the way to live fruitfully is to truly die to oneself and one's own desires. Now, this is hard. It's not for the faint-hearted. And maybe you think this is just too much. But, but look at what Jesus promises and where I am, my servant also will be. So in other words, as we go along this road, you get to know Jesus more. You get to be with him because that's where he is. He's along that road. So you get to, you get to, to fellowship with Jesus. Somebody said this, our duty is to follow Christ. Our reward is to be with Christ. See, this is the road along which Jesus is traveling, and therefore, if we want to have fellowship with him, he's saying, here's the road that we need to be on Too. It's hard to convince ourselves of that, isn't it? That, That there's fruitfulness in saying no to some of the things that we really want and saying yes to going his own way. But there's real blessing there because there's communion with Jesus there. Do you know, I was reminded that this is just before the, upper room discourse where Jesus is teaching his disciples at the Last Supper and and he's saying in in chapter fifteen, I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. What do you do you think do you ever think like this? I find myself thinking like this. That joy is better at fifty percent commitment. Do you ever think that? But Jesus teaches that wholeheartedness brings complete joy. That's what he says. I'm telling you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. In other words, he is not out to wreck your life as a Christian. Sometimes we think if we are really committed, he's going to ask us to do hard things that's going to ruin our life. Listen, he is going to ask you to do hard things and it's going to fill you with joy. So there's blessing because we get to be where Jesus is, but there's also blessing because it says the Father honors you. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Wow. What's that going to be like? Well, we can't really imagine that, can we? Because the Bible says that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. But it's it's just, it's clearly marvelous, isn't it? We've got to learn to think about what God has in store for us. You know, Jesus, it tells us that it was for the joy set before him that he was enabled to endure the cross. So Jesus knew that God had great, his Father had some great things in store for us, and he, he kept those in his mind as he was going through the cross. So it must be important for us too. John, John Piper speaks on these verses, and he said, he said, this is what it's saying. He says, we've got to own the hard, we've got to embrace the hard, and we've got to be sustained by the glorious own the hard sustained by the glorious. David Livingstone, missionary in Africa, you know, Dr. Livingstone, I presume. He said this, anxiety, sickness, suffering, or danger now and then with the foregoing of the common conveniences and charities of this life may make us pause and cause the spirit to waver and the soul to sink. In other words, he's saying it's hard. But let this be for only a moment. All these are nothing when compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us and for us. I never made a sacrifice, he said. David Livingstone poured out his life in service to God. Do you think he was miserable? You know, he said in a year before his death, 1873, he wrote in his journal on his 59th birthday, my birthday... My Jesus, my King, my life, my all. Again, I dedicate my whole self to thee. Does that sound like someone who really struggled to find joy in his Christian life? No. So what does this mean for us? The principle that Jesus embraced in his life is to be the pattern of your life and my life. That is how a fruitful harvest will be reaped in you. That's how you become a Christian. You say, my life with me in charge is over because it's only going to end in one disastrous way, a death without the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no fruit in that. That's how you know Jesus better as a Christian. That's how you walk in such a way that the Father will honor you. And that's good news. So, Jesus said, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. May God give us grace to so do. Let's pray. Lord, we we sometimes feel like those disciples who said, Lord, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? But Lord, we know that there is no fruit in holding on to our own desires, our own lives, our own patterns, our own preferences. For you are the one who knows, knows how things should be, knows the way that we take and the way that we should take and calls us to follow after you knowing that there's joy set before us. Or will you help us, each one, to to take this to our hearts, to give ourselves to you, to surrender ourselves to you, to die to those things that we know we need to, that we might rise to fruitfulness and fellowship and reward. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.